With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello! Welcome to Five Things, the podcast where we bring on my favorite funny people and we ask them five things. I'm your host, Roche Abdullah. Five Things is presented by Bad Dog Theater. Bad Dog Theater is a Toronto comedy school and improv theater devoted to unscripted performance. They host classes and shows in person and online. Check out baddogtheater.com to get tickets or enroll in class today. Before we begin, I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge that the land on which we gather is part of the treaty lands and the territory of the Mississaugas of the Credit. It is also the traditional territory of the Haudenosaunee, Anishinaabe, and Huron-Wendat Nations. This territory is subject to the Dish with One Spoon Treaty, a covenant between the Haudenosaunee and Anishinaabe. Five things. It's a classic improv game. It's used to get performers out of their head. It's a great warm-up. Usually one performer will ask another to state five things from a category as fast as they can. You can take your time. There's no rush. There's no rules in life. Um, so you, we're going to play five things with our guest, Anne Pornell. Welcome, Anne. Yay! Hi, Roche. How you doing? Good. Yeah. Anne is uh, the co-host of the Great Canadian Baking Show. We just had Alan on last episode. Uh, you've probably seen Anne on those President's Choice Yuzu commercials. And that's all I have, Anne, because you didn't send me your bio. I thought I did. It oh, was my, my headshot. Oh, maybe it's in my junk. Not that <laughs> your junk. It's just happened to me before. Should I check it? Well, 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 how the tables have turned. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll, I believe you. I believe women. She did send me her bio. It's it's me. I didn't do a good enough job checking. <laughs> okay, and you ready for your warm-up question? Let's go, baby. Are you already worried? <laughs> Not at all. Uh, nothing can phase me. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah, you already smashed, almost smashed your head today. Yeah, almost died. <laughs> And nothing you had a near death experience. Have you ever had a near death experience before? Yeah, actually, I have. Okay, I was uh hiking in Bali and I almost fell off a cliff for real. Oh my god, was it because yeah. you're taking a selfie? No, it's because the ground that I was walking on was covered in leaves and I had taken a step, but it wasn't leaves, it was like the top of a tree branch. Oh my and god. like my foot slipped, and I look over and it was literally like a cliff. It was literally <gasps> a cliff. I cried for two hours after that. No, I was going to say, what was your recovery? Like, I would have, you know, been shocked and just stood in one place for a while. I was shocked. And then I just cried the rest of the hike. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I read a, a Reddit post once that was asking people who've had near-death experiences, who survived, obviously, but it was saying, like, what, did, what was your last thought before you thought you were going to die? And one person said that whatever was happening, they were with a coworker that everyone hated, like Greg or whatever. Oh. And they said that, when they thought they were going to die, their last thought was like, Greg's not so bad. <laughs> Greg. And then after me. that, they said they were just like, uh, they had like compassion for everyone and forgiveness and they just didn't find people annoying anymore. So did you come away with any? The only thing I came away from was with it, whatever. Uh, I walked away thinking I'm not going on hikes anymore. <laughs> All right. Straight up. I hate walking. Why did I do this? Ugh. Like I'll just avoid nature from now on. Mm -hmm. Fuck nature. You heard it here. <laughs> you heard it here first, guys, on the Five Things podcast. <laughs> Anne Fornell hates nature. Yeah. She won't do it. Mm, she won't do it. Don't mm -hmm. get her to. She won't. <laughs> okay, Anne, what are the five of the worst ways you could propose to someone? Okay. Uh, using parents. Um... <laughs> <What>? Wait. <laughs> Like the like your like your My dad parents, says their parents like getting the parents involved like oh. in the actual proposal itself, um, on a really 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 expensive vacation when times are rocky in the relationship, <laughs> <laughs> um, skyplane you don't you can't control the weather you you know um and Is skyplane uh like the plane that writes out will you marry me no. 
either that or the one that's got the banner at the end because that's a lot of fuel and uh, that's a lot of carbon. That's a big carbon footprint for a proposal. Um, so that is. Four. So fifth is, uh, I love attention. So privately. <laughs> Worst way to propose is in private. Make it a moment with just the two of us. You I want, want a public proposal? I want everyone to know that I'm getting married. But what if that you didn't want to say yes? I would say yes in the moment. And then I would like yell at the person after the fact. Really? Absolutely. I don't want to disappoint everybody else. Come on. <laughs> Ruin everyone's day. Absolutely. I'm not doing that. I don't want to it do that. It would be so hard though to say yes when you really like, uh, if you're mad at them for doing yeah, that. Yeah, but I feel like that's like number one passive aggressive thing to do. So I can do it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, She's an yeah. actor. She's been on Zoo commercials. She knows. <laughs> She knows how to put on a smile. Absolutely. <laughs> right. Those are those, you came up with those fast. Is that from like experience or fr any friends? There's absolutely nobody proposed to me yet. Um. So it's all just what are the ways that uh I would find I would find awkward. So privately, just privately. a nice <laughs> beautiful proposal between two people who are in love. Boo. Boo. You heard it here first, folks, on the Five Things Podcast. Anne Pornell wants a public proposal. Hell yeah. Even if I don't like you that much, I want you to ask me to marry me in public. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thing one. Question number one. First of all, you look amazing right now. As always, mm -hmm. you always look so good. You're always in something so beautiful and so colorful. I just mm -hmm. saw your three dresses from the Junos. So really? my first question has to be about your style because you're always wearing like such amazing outfits, but they reflect your bubbly personalities. Like your personality comes across so quickly that how happy and charismatic you are. And I think that your style showcases that instantly. Um, how long did it take you to find your style? And did you know when you found it? Like what was that process like? I definitely think I'm still exploring that now. And finding my style has literally been in the last five to 10 years simply because um, there just haven't been options for plus size women and people at all up until very recently. So a lot of the things I used to wear were just like all black because that's the stuff that you could kind of make work, even if it was a little bit ill-fitting or it didn't, it, whatever, like you could camouflage a lot more with black. But now as sort of the industry is discovering, oh, fat people love to spend money on clothes. Mm -hmm. There's been a lot more um, brands that have opened up their sizing, and that's what I'm playing with now. So a lot of it is like bright and loud, which is kind of who I am. But I would say that I'm still discovering it. And um, like I really struggle with trying to find, uh, not find, but struggle with trying to decide if I want to follow the trends or if I just want to like wear what the fuck I want to wear. And it's kind of a mix of both. And I think that's where I'm landing, but who knows? We'll see. It's fun. Clothing is fun. And it's just uh, something I've never been a, be able to be a part of. So I'm enjoying this journey. Yeah. That man, you, when you wear like an outfit where you're like, this feels like me, you, there's something so much to it. Like I know it's just clothes and it's not about like it being a materialistic thing. It's about feeling in your skin and feeling like you are closer to who you want to be or who you are. So it's actually so yeah. important. So to, yeah. to, yeah, exactly what you're saying of like brands or companies, just not even having clothes in a sizing. It's like, you can't just be yourself. Or even I find that the black thing is it's such a Toronto thing. Yeah. Like everyone hey. wears black. Everyone wears black. When I was in Melbourne, I came back to Toronto. It was so weird because everyone was so colorful and fashionable in, in Melbourne. And, and here it was just like black, everything, white sneakers. Black beige denim. And it's just like, like, I'm not going to knock it. If that's your style, that's your thing. But I'm also like, that's kind of boring <laughs> and lazy. Sorry, I'm going to say it. But like, you know, what? I hate to say that because it comes off as just like, you shouldn't do that. But I'm also like, who cares? Like, who cares what anyone else is wearing at this point? Um, like, I wouldn't want to be judged as a person for wearing ostentatious and loud and like uh, outfits that take up space. Um, I wouldn't want to be judged for that. So I'm not going to sit here mm -hmm. and be like, mm -hmm, why are you wearing your flannel shirt again, every Toronto man? <laughs> 
I do love black. You're right. But you're right. It is easy. Um, I'm coming back from, I, I wanted this, I wanted a leopard print coat for so long and I finally found, and I usually just shop thrift. So I finally mm-hmm. found one at a thrift store and it was like a very long kind of like winter coat. And I remember walking down the street and I was so like, I felt so good in it. And I passed by these dudes and one yelled out, winter is coming, eh? And I just remember being like, I'm, that's it. Like, I'm going to go home. I'm going to take this off and burn it. And, but it was just like, man, like you, we're always trying to say like, be who you are. And like, don't, we can't all be the same. Like we all need to find our individuality. And then you do something and people are like, not like that. 100. It's so hard. It's so hard because there are so many people who like that, that will, you will just encounter on the street, no matter how hard you try, no matter how much you try to like get your defenses up one shit comment from like the worst looking, smelling, (laughs) acting person can really like wound you. But like, isn't that life? (laughs) And also I, I always try to consider the source. If that source is someone I respect, someone that I love, someone that I care about, Maybe I'll think twice about what they're saying. But if it's like just some dude with like stains on his pants, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> like, yeah. Who are you true. to talk, talk to me about anything? Yeah. I work at a clinic and people get mad all the time when I try to give them a mask. And one person one time called me a, a bitch and everyone came over afterwards and was like, are you okay? Are you okay? And I was like, yeah, why? And, and my coworker was like, "That because that lady called you a B word. And I was like, yeah, she doesn't know me though. <laughs> like. Yeah. Also, she's not wearing a mask, so who fucking cares what she thinks? (laughs) He's like, that would hurt me if it came from a random person. I was like, no, she doesn't know me. It would hurt if my friend said it because, like, they they wouldn't say it unless it was true. And that's hard Mm -hmm. for them to say. So Mm -hmm. I would take it to heart if if that was the case. Completely. But But your friend. She's right. I am a bitch. (laughs) But she doesn't know that. So how dare she? (laughs) Uh, Okay. Question two. Hmm. Because you're so, you have such a happy, cheery disposition usually every time I've talked to you and seen you. um, And I'm assuming people obviously take notice when it's an off day. It's not like you're (laughs) super sad, you know, you're like, you're not being depressed, but people can just tell they can feel it. You're just not your usual self. And I find that like, I feel like I'm the same. I'm usually like pretty like happy in a good mood. And when I'm just like not feeling it, it's not that I'm anything, but that's it. Just not being anything people... Like me acting like other people is is off for some people. Mm-hmm. And then there's this all they're always kind of like, what's wrong? Like, how do you do you get that? Do you find that that happens? I find that that's a thing that happened in my youth and something that other people would sort of comment on uh, the younger you are, like the older you get, the less you're like, oh, honey, are you OK? And it's more like <laughs> we don't really ask each other that we kind of just like <laughs> I mean, me and my friends do at least um, for me. I I have communicated to my friends that when I'm upset, I I don't really want to be <laughs> talked to too much. Um, but when I'm upset, you know that I'm upset. And mm-hmm. like that's why I try to very much keep that in check. I find that I have such a large energy that it really does take over the room sometimes if I'm not careful with how I'm managing it. Um, and 90% of the time, it is really just like good vibes. Let's have fun. Be silly. Not take anything too seriously. But in that 10%, I know that I can really bring a room down. (laughs) Um, So like, I just close off a bit. If if people are like, are you okay? And I don't want to talk about it, I won't talk about it. Um, When I was younger, I would do that by like being sullen and like, I'm fine. Like that classic reaction. But now as I get older, I realize that doesn't actually help me in any way and it doesn't make me feel better. So I'm trying to get better at communicating, hey, I need space right now and I don't want to hear this. <laughs> no, I love that. You. I like that because there's this, um, oh, man, I don't know how to explain this feeling that I've had for so long, but like, first of all, I think it should be illegal to ask people how how they're doing during a p- pandemic. Like, I hate that our our greeting is just like, hey, how are you? And we're supposed to just say like, good. And that's it. And then that's like, that's just how you say hi now. And it, 
and if you were to say like not good it's like i don't even we used to say not good and then i don't want to talk about it if i'm not doing good like who are you like everyone asks says how are you and, mm-hmm. and we're, i'm not just going to open up and share especially during things like the bell let's talk there's this like encouragement of like check in on your friends and all that stuff but it's like not a lot of you are qualified <laughs> to check in <laughs> like if i was to open up or someone was to open up like you couldn't hit you couldn't properly some of you say the dumbest stuff yeah. So I don't, yeah. I don't, yeah, I, I feel weird about that kind of stuff too. Like what's going on? Are you okay? And it's like, you are not going to make it better, Gerald. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fuck off Gerald. But like, I actually, it's interesting that that's your experience because I find that during the pandemic, I have no more shits left to give. So if someone asks me how I am and I really am not in a great place, I'll be like, eh. or I will just say, does it matter? <laughs> that's like, honestly, a lot of my response <laughs> are you okay? Like, how, are you good? And I'm like, does it matter? I'm here. I'm, <laughs> I want to have a good time. So let's just leave it at that. I love I'm that. I'm quite honest about that because it's like, I don't have the energy to keep up appearances anymore. Yeah. You know, we already have so little energy left to give these days. I'm not going to spend it on lying about it or faking anything because it, it just creates more work for me. And for the most part, I find if you're honest and the person that you're speaking to is not uh, a full lunatic, they will be like, yep, okay, message received. <laughs> yeah. Like I do think if you say, I'm not great, but I, I don't want to talk about it, people will respect that. And that's what I've started to do. So <laughs> learn from experience, I guess. <laughs> no, you're so 100. I love it. Um, I, does it matter? I love that. I'm gonna I'm gonna steal it during the entire pandemic. People were like, "How are you?" And I'm just like, "How dare you? Honestly, How dare you ask that?" Like, do you actually want to know? Do you really want to get into it? The answer is no. We're so all doing bad. It. it doesn't yeah. matter. We're all shit all the time. Ah. You know how you were saying when you're younger, people would be like, "How are you?" And now you don't mm-hmm. even have to say that. It's because it's like everyone knows. It's just like life. <laughs> like everything. Yeah. Is yeah. It's bad also a bit performative too sometimes, and you're like. I'm not going to perform for you the way you're performing for me, but please go on. <laughs> but do, do, do you go, you do you boo. <laughs> okay. Thing three, question three, what's been the most, you may have a lot, but what's been the most challenging thing for you in your comedy career? Learning to say no to opportunities and to really focus and to act with intention. So like in comedy and in acting and in the entertainment business, we know how hard it is to make a living, right? So the tendency is to say yes to everything. And I did do that and I still do that. But, you know, the pandemic has really taught me my energy has a limit. I'm not a bottomless pit of creativity, of energy, of positivity, of opinions, of this and that. There is truly a limit until I'm just a shell. and. I found the second that I started really focusing on what I wanted and then saying no to the things that I didn't necessarily want, but I was just saying yes to because I thought it would get me further or it would help um, teach me something or frankly, just give me a paycheck. (laughs) The more or the less space, excuse me, I was giving to the things I actually wanted to do. And like the most concrete example I give is writing. I never really wanted to write. I don't like writing. It's not my favorite thing in the world. And I found that at the start of my career, I just said yes to it. And I did sketch and I wrote um, political satire uh, for various jobs. And I did that because I was like, this is a job being offered to me. I want to take it because I need to take it um, because I'm starting out. And that's really fine to do. But sort of the further along I got, and the more jobs I was being uh, given and that I was applying for, I realized that half the time with writing, it was making me completely miserable and I wasn't happy. And I was like, okay, well, this is two room I'm spending in this writing room. And it makes me want to cry every time I go home. And it's not because it was like bad vibes or anything. It's just because I really didn't want to write jokes. (laughs) I wanted to say the jokes. I wanted to perform it. And I was like, is this worth all of the sort of turmoil that I'm putting myself through? And the answer is no. And when the pandemic happened, I asked myself that again and again and again, like, um, because 
realizing once again, I'm not a bottomless pit. And so why am I going to continue to feed the things that I don't love at the expense of the things that I do love? And when I started saying no to the writing stuff, that opened up more opportunities. And whether that's because I was allowing it to happen by creating space in my life, la la la, (laughs) or because I just didn't have anything else to do. So I was like, yes, give me more of this or focusing on acting and focusing on performing. It, it was like little breadcrumbs and I was just following my breadcrumbs. When you say yes to everything, you're just throwing it all. And then you're left to scramble, picking everything up. But the, I found the more, I have found with more intention that I give to the things that I do, the more it gives back to me. And like, truly, I don't know that it's necessarily like connected, but like the second I decided I'm going to say no to writing gigs is a, is when I literally got two auditions. And one of them was for the Great Canadian Baking Show. And obviously we can't say it's because you said no to writing, but I'm going to believe that it did. <laughs> like, Because I truly believe that like I told the universe, no more this stuff. Give me more other stuff. Let's see. Um, and then the universe provided. Yeah, I, I'm in, I believe that too. I think it's like put out the energy that you want to get back. But do you feel like, do you think that the more privilege you have or like the the more established you are, the more privilege that you have to say no, because you can say no to like you, when you're kind of like starting out, you need any and all opportunities to, to get noticed. And then once you are, then you can say no. And the same thing with like that writing aspect. I feel like when you start out, you have to do it all. Even the things that you don't like, like I am always constantly like, should I write for the Beaverton? When it's like, bro, she don't <laughs> No, you don't want to do that. Not that's like, I like to come up with the headlines, but I don't, I'm the same as you. It's like, I can only work in a group setting. I, um, but you just feel like you have to do it all until you reach a point where you can say no and you can choose the things that you want to do. You're completely correct there is a lot of privilege with saying no uh I said no because I have a lot of security in that um you know I live with my parents so I don't need to worry about things like rent or having money to survive that being said what is the point is sort of the speculative aspect of like well if I said no to things earlier would that mean this there's there's no fucking way because that's mm-hmm. not what happened, right? Like, I don't try to dwell too much on the past, but from what has happened just by experience, it's all about the amount of energy you have, honestly. And do you really want to spend it on things that make you miserable or things that make you feel bad or things that make you feel sad? No. Sometimes we do because we feel like we got to get our foot in the door. And that's absolutely valid because that's work. That's what makes this a job and not a hobby, right? It's that sacrifice of having to do things that we don't want to do sometimes. But I will also say doing all of those things allows you to know what you want to do. True. So when you do start, yeah, it probably does behoove you to dabble a little bit in everything because then you can actually say for certain what you do and do not want to do. And once you get to that point, is then when you can say no. And I do think like, if it's going to work, it's going to work. I... <laughs> Everyone just say yes to everything or say no to everything. <laughs> You're right. You heard it here first, folks. It behooves no. you to say <laughs> no. no. But really, like, I just, maybe I'm just so old now that I'm like, I don't have energy to like think about things that make me sad And I would rather put in all of my heart and soul into the things that feed me. And if that creates jobs, amazing. If it doesn't, it still feeds me. You know what I mean? Like there's, you'll always get something out of pursuing the thing you want to pursue. No, I agree. And there's also times where I find that uh, like I didn't go to comedy school or I didn't do, I kind of. I I went to school somewhere else and then like I grew up in Toronto Mm -hmm. and then I went to school in Kingston and then I moved away and then I came back. And so I had friends in Toronto, but none of them were comedy people. Mm -hmm. And so when I first started comedy here, 
I was doing shows. I got clocked in, clocked out. And then I would, I was still friendly with people and, but I didn't stay after shows. I, I had my life, I had my friends and I had my stuff. And so I wasn't, I, I think it was that kind of thing of like, I wasn't part of the community or part of the scene, which I was very okay with. Mm-hmm. I wanted that. But then you get to a point where you're like, is this a problem? Am I not getting shows because of this? Should I be more involved? And I'm, I'm really happy with the way that I did it. And then later, and it's like natural. It's like, you don't have to, you shouldn't have to think about these things or question or you should just do what you want. And then there's times where I also am like, okay, I'm, I'm now I'm hanging out more after the scene and, and no more comedy people because I enjoyed time with them and, it just yeah. flows. It just, it happens the way it happens. Yeah. What did you do in Kingston? What, what, what did you study? If not comedy? <laughs> oh yeah. The, the hub of comedy in Kingston. Um, <laughs> I studied, uh, I studied English and drama, but not like acting drama. It was the same. It's like reading plays and mm-hmm. I didn't want to go to school. I had no idea what I wanted to do. Actually, I did want to like, I, I, I did want to be a, com- like people are always like, you should be a comedian. And I didn't think it was a real job. Or I didn't mm-hmm. think that it was, I don't know. My parents were, my parents are immigrants. They're very like doctor, Ditto. engineer, lawyer. Ditto. And then I wanted to act, Ditto. but that wasn't a thing. And my brother, it's funny. My brother was going to Windsor for their acting program, but he was telling my parents that he was in doing history, which it's like, wow. it's funny because the lie that he came up with wasn't even something prestigious. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's like you have to know that if you come out, let's see, if you can't just say you're like studying engineering because you're going to come out that with an engineering job. So he's like, I'm studying history, which is good enough, I guess, for my parents because it was wasn't acting. Like I remember when I was little, like I was young and my parents said, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, an actor. And this is going to sound bad, but you must know this with like the cultural Mm -hmm. differences in the language barrier. My dad was like, oh, you want to be a kahva, which in our language essentially means like whore. Um, (laughs) So so later on when my aunt was like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said a (laughs) kahva. But like that's that's just how the culture sees it or whatever. Even now with that, now that it's like I tell my parents, it's like, oh, I have an agent. And they're like, are you going to show your boobies? Like, that's the first thing that comes into their mind. It's like, no, I'm doing commercials. They watch that they think you're going to show your breasts. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's like it's more of a comment on what they're watching. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't, I, when I graduated high school, I had no idea what I wanted to be. I, I actually was obsessed with England for some reason. And I wanted to like backpack across England. No one does that. No one backpacks, but I just wanted to move there. And they were like, no. And then I found a program where you could study abroad in England. So I was like, I'll do that. So I'll make them happy. I get what I want. But then it was just a year. And so when it finished, I was like, I don't know. Like now I'm in this, I'm enrolled in this school and I don't know what to do. And I'd never heard of, I went to Queens and I never, had never heard of it or been to Kingston. But when I arrived there, it was like really nice and pretty. And I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to take, I'm going to major in something that I can bullshit for four years yeah. and, and I'll party hard and I'll like have so much fun. And then like future Roche will figure it out. Like, yeah. I just like, I'm just going to not worry about it at all. Mm-hmm. And it was the best time. It was the best four years. But future Roche is still trying to figure it out. Honestly, that was such a that was like that's a much better like one hundred percent the same thing. Like I went to University of Toronto and I got my degree in in biological anthropology. You tell me what that is because I don't know. And that's my (laughs) major. That's my that's what my major is. And my two minors are physiology and. I don't know, biology. I just like cobbled <laughs> together a degree and I was like, I'm going to let future and figure it out. Yeah. But like, I had no plan. As soon as I graduated, I was like, oops, what am I going to do with this now? But that was I'm- everyone I knew. Everyone yeah. had to go back to school because we were all just like told at 18, you had to pick something that it's like, not only do we not know at all what that means. Like we don't know what it means to study anything, what no. that means after. Nope. And also- you study something enough, you hate it. Like mm-hmm. we don't, we weren't into it. And it was also like all theoretical. It's just like, it was such a, it's such a bad way. System. Yeah. It's such a poor system. Because it puts so many people in debt for no reason. Like the amount of people that go to university because they literally don't know what else to do. And then you just what, like create thousands and thousands of dollars of debt just so you can 
literally push back four more four or five years before figuring out what you really want to do what an absurd thing like I think that's always the stupidest thing but that's also like all of us sort of doing the thing we were programmed to do yeah. the thing that we were taught the thing that was instilled in us which is not acting with intention right we were just doing what yeah. we were told and at no point am I suggesting don't do school everybody but also like you heard it here first you heard it here folks. first everyone don't do don't school don't do school at all <laughs> but like if I didn't do university I would not have found comedy because yeah. that's where I found what sketch comedy was like I didn't do um I did musicals in high school but never like didn't have improv uh didn't have improv or sketch really until getting to U of T and if I didn't go to U of T to make my parents happy to get us a, a like a bachelor of science yeah I truly don't know what I would have what I would be doing here I certainly would not be having a five questions with Roche <laughs> neither would I I love you know what I loved university I did party I did I never studied nice. once like I was so stress-free good for you, good for you because it doesn't it. matter you know what I mean like whether you do or you don't we're all here at the same time, you know. Like everyone does. Nobody but goes it to school. That, okay? It was that time where our I, our parents were like, "You have to go to university." Now I think it's be okay. If, not even college. Like college wasn't good enough. It was seemed like Completely. everyone was like a stupid school. Completely. But now I don't know. I if my kid was like, "I'm thinking of this," I'd be like, See, "Google it. You could probably learn it on YouTube first. Like why, yeah. like you said, spend that much money." And you're and it kind of goes back to what you were saying. Like you have to try everything to know what you like yes and university is just like a really expensive way to try one thing kind of sometimes they have like the good thing about school was um that's how I kind of found started to get into comedy too because of like the clubs and I was writing uh, for this like tv thing and it was like okay I wouldn't there's so many resources and access to different things that I wouldn't get yeah and it's just because you happen to be there right like you just happen to be there <laughs> I don't know what my point is. I'm was. just here. I'm just well, here for here. a good time, not a long time. <laughs> That's the fucking truth right there. <laughs> now we're gonna take a little break and return with your guest and Pornell. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And we're back with Ann Pornell. Yay! Okay, question four. What's been a career highlight for you? Ooh. You can name more than one. I've really, uh, I sincerely mean this. I've had so many. I've had a real, I was thinking about it this weekend. I've had a really fucking cool career. And it doesn't mean that it's, better than anyone's it's just what I've done I'm so proud of and I'm so happy with um it's really hard to name even just a few but off the top of my head most recently I co-hosted the opening night Juno awards which is wild it's wild I never ever ever dreamed of even not even dreamed like I never thought I was like hmm is this a viable career option hosting never ever 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 and then when it happened I was like okay sure and it was so fucking fun and it was so nice to be among people that were not in the industry that I was in just to see how like everyone operated and I will tell you the music industry way cooler than comedy and acting oh yeah who thought that comedy was cooler than music nobody nobody no but like it was it was a really cool night and a lot of people were way more chill than actors and comedians and it was so nice to not have people doing bits in your face um so that's a highlight (laughs) 
Um, and like they treated me so well, like they put me up in a hotel and then they gave me tickets to the Juno, like the Juno proper um, on Sunday night. And I got to sit beside Jagmeet Singh and his Whoa. beautiful wife and three rows behind Shawn Mendes. Like that's cool. <laughs> that's cool to me. Uh, that getting the baking show, um, getting main stage at Second City, it was something I had worked for for like five years. And so to finally get that thing that I was really working hard for for years felt great. Um, th th those to start off with, I guess. Yeah. And it was, it's it's fun. <laughs> I've had a really fun fucking life. Those are really cool, good ones. I, mm -hmm. I, to me, happiness to me or when I've been the most happy in my life is when I've really, really, really wanted something like you were saying. Like you work for it, you really want it, you fantasize about it, and then you get it. Yeah. And then it's just like pure joy. And I practice gratefulness when I, or gratitude when I, when I get it, like I, when I get it every day I wake up and I'm like, Oh, oh boy, yeah. you, you dreamed of this moment. That's how I felt in England. Cause like for the whole year, yeah, a great, like I was applying, I was like, I need to get into this program. So I wanted it for that long. And then I got it. There's a few things in my life, only like very few things that I've really, really wanted for so long and then got it. So that's so cool that, especially with um with second city because you've been in things that i remember like i remember mm -hmm. the spanx sketch where you're just like taking off the spanx and like mm -hmm. talking about it and it it hit home so much too because it's like i friggin wore spanx two classes in high school like i yep. would be just wearing like jeans and a shirt but be wearing spanx underneath mm-hmm mm -hmm. and like it took me five years to get there i did i did kids like I did teen theater for Second City for five years that is the most humbling and like <laughs> brain numbing job ever like the, <laughs> there's no worse shame than a child thinking you're not funny <laughs> like you feel like dirt because it's a kid and you're like what do you mean I'm not funny you're stupid how do you, how do you not find me funny but like they're so honest and so like to have to go through that for like four and a half years I was like I hope this, this me, like, I hope this is me putting in the work to get to a higher place. Yeah. And it was. Um, Kids will cut you. They're like the, you're right. They're the funniest and you can be so silly with them in a way that you can't be with other people. Yep. But then like, I remember I was a tour guide for like grade eight graduate students to like Montreal or Ottawa. Mm -hmm. And I remember just like talking or saying something to this girl, probably like, she was like, kind of like sit down on the bus or something. And she's just staring at me and she's like, you need to get your eyebrows done. And there's nothing I could do or say, but like, just turn around and, sh and sh she's right. Like I did need yes. to get my eyebrows done. Like, I'm not going to, you know, like, that's yeah, it. that's, that's, that's why they are the best and the most humbling audience. They don't fucking care about you. They don't care about your feelings. They will tell you exactly what they're thinking in one Edco show. It is an admittedly terrible opening number. Um, really corny. It was really like, obviously talking down to the kids. It was awful. There was in the silence, there was just one kid in the back who's like, that sucked. <laughs> Clear as day. Clear as day. You heard that sucked. And the worst part is that kid was right. It did suck. They're not saying it, just that they're saying it because it's true. They're saying truly what they're thinking. And that's yeah. why I'm like, as much as I <laughs> make fun of the fact that I was in Edco for four and a half, five years. It taught me so much about resiliency and like really? truly not giving a shit because like I know I can command a room of adults because I've done it to kids and there's no one harder to yes. please than a group full of teenagers. That's so true. Yeah. Sometimes I wonder with, you know how you're right. Kids will say like whatever's on their mind and, mm -hmm. and because like politeness and etiquette is a construct that we've built and we teach it's like they're just gonna they're just gonna say things because they're curious and they're like yeah. asking questions but that's the parents and the guardians who are like oh no don't say that that's rude and I'm I wonder like if I have kids and they just say something like am I supposed to suppress that because like yeah <laughs> I don't know why that man pants is dirty like go ask him <laughs> I think that's a valid response I don't know why why don't you ask yeah go ask him and like is it rude or is it, are we told like, is it ruder to think something and keep it in and that man doesn't know his pants are dirty? I don't know. I don't know what the right thing is. I have no filter. People are always like, you're not supposed to say that. And it's like, who decided? 
That's I'll never know because we're not supposed to say it. That's the question. Who decided this? And once you've answered that question, you'll either stop asking or you'll ask even more because like, who did decide that? Is it because we're trying to make things, keep things peaceful? Or is it because we want to stay in our lane? You know what I mean? Like, that's a really great question of who decides what we follow in terms of like rules and like politeness and, oh, we don't say that amongst proper company. Like, yeah. I, I really where, sorry go ahead oh no I was done um yeah I learned this trick of like sometimes when you think things and you find that someone else doesn't think that you have to ask yourself like where did you learn that or like who taught you that because there's so many times mm-hmm. in my life I all and it's a lot of times it's like internal stuff too of like oh I yeah. can't do that or whatever and it's like who who told you that yeah that's a great question oh I'm gonna I'm gonna ask myself that that's great because yeah. it's true like why do I why do I think that? Why do I stop myself from being honest? And like, not like pathological lying, but things like uh, speaking your truth and putting up boundaries and setting boundaries. Like why, why do we do any of these things? It all comes from somewhere. And once you figure that out, then you can be like, oh, I'm gonna keep this because it does serve me. It's, it, I do that for a reason. But if it's for no reason, then you're like, oh, then I'm going to just not smile if I'm not happy. Cool. Yeah. I don't That's need to The do thing that. is, like, if it doesn't, sometimes I'll think things. I'm like, who taught me that? And it's like, oh, I don't need, I can throw that one away. Yeah. Or there's the ones of, like, if you believe, like, so a lot of times I'm like, why would it be me? Or, like, why? And my friend is always like, why not you? Like, it's going to be anyone. Why not you? That's a good friend. I like that friend for you. I like that friend for anyone. <laughs> That's a really nice thing to say to a friend. <laughs> Great friend. Per- perfect hype person. Just like all that cu- that classic friend. Like if you say something bad about yourself, it's like, hey, don't talk about my best friend that way. Oh, that's like, really, really nice. Yeah, really reminding you your self-worth. I need that. I realized lately I've been like really hard on myself. I never thought I was that kind of person, but. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. what I'm discovering in therapy as well, that I'm very mean to myself. But where did we learn that? Where do we learn it? Where do we learn it? It's it's uh it's like the sequel. It's like why are we, why are our words the sharpest? Because this time it's personal. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you know yourself. You're like it's personal. That's why mm-hmm. we take it so personal. Like a kid, when they Absolutely. say it. It's like it's it's the things that they say. It's like it's very personal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's too personal. Shut up. Your brain's not formed yet, teen yeah. boy. Stop That's why saying I got bangs. So that the kids could stop seeing my eyebrows and telling me I need to go to the salon. No way. No, no. I got things because I look good in bangs. <laughs> yes, you do. Thank you. This is exactly where I wanted this to go. We can end the podcast here. Uh, well, I got one more question. Fine, All fine, right. fine, fine. Number five. What's the next bucket list item you'd like to cross off? Ooh. In life, it doesn't have to be like comedy wise. Just anything. Well, I'm trying to do 40 countries by the time I'm 40, but the pandemic has really put a fucking cloud on that. Mm. Um, I'm not going to reveal my age because I would like everyone to think I'm eternally youthful. Um, but like, I don't have that much longer to go before I hit that. So I'm like, uh, just trying to really maximize potential travel plans, but that's really hard to do in a pandemic. Um, but other than that, Flying business class, like being Ooh. able to afford business class. <laughs> you know how you things of like I never with the junior awards. You're like I never even thought. About, I've never thought about business class. Like that's Ooh. the thing that like I like I'm I never even thought about it because it's like not in my mind that I would mm-hmm. ever get there. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I didn't know there was anything other than coach or oh, economy. There is. there is, and in business class, if you're on a flight that's long enough, your bed reclines. Like oh, your chair God. is a bed, and that's why I want. <laughs> Um, okay, that 40 by 40 rule, mm-hmm. what I had a 30 by 30 rule, not for countries. Mm. Um, and I didn't, I could have reached it, but I chose not to for my own well-being. Mm-hmm. But because I'm just so competitive, I was like, I want this. And then it was like, you can get it, but is it going to serve you? So if you don't, if you don't get the 40 countries in, are you going to be, how are you going to handle that? Are you gonna be disappointed, or you kind of be like, it's a, it's just a arbitrary kind of thing I gave to myself. I can always get to forty countries. No one's gonna know the 
time. No one's going to, how many countries have you been to? 40. By what age though? Yeah. It's exactly that. I think it was really just a goal to see how much I could travel because I didn't start traveling until literally my late twenties. And it's just because I didn't have the money. I couldn't afford it. And growing up, we were like, not, we weren't poor, but we weren't rich. We were just Mm. like comfortably in the middle class and traveling wasn't necessarily the thing that we did. And so when I left second city, when I was trapped for a year (laughs) and a half on that stage doing eight shows, I was like, you're going to, you're going to get the, as far away from here as possible the second that you can. And that's where I was like, oh shit, travel is fun. Travel is interesting. Travel teaches me things about myself. It was a way of kind of like learning about the world and learning that what I do doesn't matter. Who I am doesn't really matter. And the big, like the big plan of it all, it's the most humbling thing to like have to go into another place and be completely on your own and not comfortable. Yeah. Um, and I was like, I really wanted to challenge if I could do that continuously. Cause it's, it's very difficult to travel to places that you don't know the language. You really feel shitty for a lot of it. And no one yeah. tells you that no one tells you how scary it is to be in a place where you can't communicate exactly how you need to in a, an emergency or even a day to day. And I really was like, could you do this? And that's kind of where it started. And if it doesn't happen, then I'll just lie about my age until it does. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Asian. People will buy that I'm 35 for the next 10 years. So <laughs> you're so right about traveling. It's so transformative. It does. Uh, it's so eye-opening, but yeah. you're right. It's humbling too, because I remember my mom always used to tell me this story of when she first came to the country, she didn't know what tax, what, like they didn't have tax in Iraq. So mm-hmm. when she came, she, she was passing by a dollar store and they had like socks and stuff on the outside, like, you know how they have it sometimes on the uh, outside of the, the store. And so she was like, how much is this? And they said a dollar. And when she brought it inside and they cashed it out he was like okay a dollar 15 because of the tax and she didn't under she's like why is it more why is it why you said a dollar and he's trying to be like tax she doesn't know what that means so what are you gonna what are you gonna think if like if you've never had that concept before for her it was like um it's cheaper when it's outside than when it's inside like for something about it's kind of like takeaway and dining in she was like oh it costs more so she was trying to throw him like a loony from the outside and when she told me that story I was like yeah it's like bless her heart but it's also when I was young I was like what do you like you're silly you're so what but when I was in Turkey and I was on the wrong bus and it just stopped in the middle of nowhere and I'm trying to ask what's going on and he's not he's just kicking me off the bus I walked away feeling so bad and so helpless and I remember in that moment thinking about that story my mom told me um because she also told me one where she went to go get a coffee and it was self-serve so they gave her an empty cup and she thought they were just being like racist or something so she left crying and I was like you cried for an empty cup but leaving that bus I was truly truly I felt like that I felt so helpless and so and I couldn't there was no language for me to even ask and he just kicked me off and and you're right also about the safety and the dangers. There was like no rules in Turkey. There's so mm-hmm. many times I was in such uh, like positions, but I was also like, where Shit. are my rights? And they're like, you don't have them here. Yeah. I think that's why like I travel is such a privilege. It is such a privilege, but I feel like, God, everyone needs to be put in a place where they cannot speak the language because yes. the second that you are now put in that, you have so much more empathy for every other person you encounter. And as an immigrant, like I came here when I was five, my parents, uh, we immigrated, they were in their thirties. Like my dad, every time, no one explained transfers to him. Yeah. So oh my for, God, like, the bus. for like a year, he would just pay every single time he went on the bus or the oh. train, like, because no one explained it. And it's like, how do you know the things, you know, that you, when you don't know them? Yeah. And it's that honestly truly has been one of the things that I focus on so much these days to try to find empathy because I <laughs> think everything and everyone sucks a lot. And the thing that I have to keep remembering is like, you only know what you know, and they only know what they know. And you have to try to be able to like, remember that 
and get over being wrong or feeling the need to always be right. Because that's the whole thing of like, I would get so defensive if someone corrected me. I'd be like, I knew that. I'm that person who's like, I knew that first. I said that 10 minutes ago. Did you hear me? (laughs) I said that first. Like, and it's so (laughs) ugly. (laughs) Like, that's such a shitty personality trait because it's like, who cares if I knew that or if I didn't know that? Who cares if you make a mistake? Just say, sorry, I didn't know that. And now I know it. And like, if we could treat everyone like that, I think we might be in a better spot because like, how can you get mad at someone who doesn't know the language if like, how how, how are they supposed to know? How are they supposed to know if they're brand new to this country or yeah. asking for directions or things like that? Even on the other end of like, where you're saying that if someone corrected you, you're like, I knew that I hate, it's like for the other end of just why even correct if like what I, I still say this, but like close the lights instead of turn off the lights or shut the lights off. People still, they're like, mm-hmm, it's close the lights or no, that's turn the one off. I say. Yeah. Turn off yeah. the light. And like, you know what I'm saying? Like, why you gotta be a dick about, you know, exactly what I'm saying. It doesn't matter. No, you, we know what, we know the point. You're just trying to look smarter. It all it always comes back to how are you doing? Does it matter? Does it matter? Does it matter? Truly, like if if that's one of the five things that anyone learns from this, it's that Anne Pornell will always ask, "Does it matter?" Eh, no. You heard it here first, folks. It doesn't, <laughs> doesn't matter. matter. Nothing like, matters. It doesn't. Die eventually, it doesn't. It, nothing matters. You don't matter. I don't matter. We don't matter. We don't matter. And so, with that, we can kind of be like, hmm. If it doesn't matter, then I'm just going to kind of do what I want to make myself happy because that's what matters. Like it's that dichotomy of if nothing matters, then everything matters. So why not just try to be like balls to the wall doing the thing that you want to do the most? Because it doesn't matter. If I'm if I'm miserable, it doesn't matter. So why am I going to make myself miserable? Balls to the wall. Balls to the wall. Thank you, Anne. Thank you so much for that. Anything you want to plug, sense. anything you want to let us know about what's going on in your life, what do you want us to come and see? I'm just going to start the baking show, shooting that. So that'll be coming out in the fall. Um, and that's really all I've got going on for now. That I can Thank you out. so much. Thank you. Nice to talk to you, Roche. Thanks again to Ann Pornell, The Sonar Network, and Bad Dog Comedy Theater. Your support makes a difference, and you can donate today by going to baddogtheater.com. Five Things is produced by Victoria Kucher, and we couldn't do without our amazing tech, Sean Murray. And of course, I'm your host, Rosh Abdullah. Yay! Woo! Woo! Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They're also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.